When I lived in Montgomery, Alabama, I took night classes at Troy University in my spare time. Although the main campus of the university is located in a small town about an hour or so away, Troy had established a satellite campus in downtown Montgomery by purchasing and renovating several of the out-of-use buildings, including the Whitley Hotel. Although dormant for decades, the old hotel was a majestic building with an elegant lobby and a grand staircase that wound its way to the upper floors. The university did the city a big favor by bringing that hotel back to life. In the middle of the repurposed lobby was a large and detailed mosaic which featured the emblem of the university. Legend had it that not long after Troy bought the old hotel, university officials had had the mosaic painstakingly replaced tiny tile by tiny tile to further cement its presence in the urban community. But when the work was finished, something wasn't right. Part of the emblem wasn't exactly the way that it was supposed to be, and the university's president, an exacting sort of woman, insisted that the mosaic be done again. As the artisan chipped up the mistaken portion of the mosaic in order to redo it, the president happened to walk through the lobby and stopped to ask the worker how everything was going. Frustrated, the laborer responded with little more than a grunt. So the president asked him what was wrong. Not realizing who it was that was speaking to him, he replied, Some witch is making me do this all over again. Only he didn't use the word witch. She replied, Oh, really? Well, guess what? I am that witch. Pack up your stuff. You're fired. When we fail to recognize the authority of the one standing in front of us, we shouldn't be surprised when judgment comes crashing down on our heads. Today's gospel lesson is all about authority. Will we recognize and respect Jesus' authority, or will we substitute our own version of right and wrong in its place? As Suzanne noted last Sunday, this chapter of Matthew is filled with expressions of and challenges to Jesus' authority. The chapter starts as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey as the crowd shouts, Hosanna, Hosanna, as if Jesus were entering the city prepared to claim the throne of his ancestor David. Then, as soon as Jesus arrives, he goes straight for the temple where he turns over the tables of the money changers and chases them out of the holy precincts, effectively halting the worship that was taking place there. As all this took place, the religious authorities standing on the sidelines watched on as this rabbi performs one prophetic and symbolic gesture after another, 
both questioning those authorities' legitimacy and asserting his own authority in their place. The tension mounts. Something has to give. The crowds are cheering for this radical rabbi, and behind the scenes, the people in power are plotting for his demise. Then, exasperated and probably a bit nervous, the religious leaders came to Jesus and asked him to explain by what authority he was doing these radical, divisive, and lawless deeds. How could a religious figure like him allow himself to be at the center of such unrest? And in response, he told them two parables. First, the parable of the two sons, which we heard last week, and now the parable of the wicked tenants, which is today's focus. Listen to another parable, Jesus told them. A parable about a landowner who carefully and deliberately prepared a vineyard before leasing it to some tenants and going off to another country. It must have taken years of hard work by those tenants before those vines ever began to produce any fruit. But eventually, it was time for the landowner to collect his share of the harvest. So he sent some servants to get what was his due, his portion, the amount that had been agreed upon back when the vineyard had originally been leased to those tenants. But the tenants weren't interested in giving up any of the fruit of their labor. They were the ones who had worked hard every day, season after season, bearing the heat of the summer sun, pulling up weeds, pruning distressed vines, carefully nurturing the tender shoots until harvest time. The tenants had done all the work, they told themselves, so every bit of the produce should be theirs. They didn't care whose land it was. They didn't care who had made all the improvements to it. They didn't care who had hired them to take care of it. So they attacked the landowner's slaves, beating and killing and stoning them. And when the landowner sent a second group of slaves, even more than the first, they treated them in the same way. Finally, the landowner recognized the need for serious action. So he sent his son, his agent, someone who could officially speak for the family and engage the local officials if needed. But the tenants even refused to respect the landowner's son. Instead, they convinced themselves that once the air was out of the way, the vineyard would belong to them. So they killed him. No one, except for the tenants, was surprised at what happened next. Even the religious leaders to whom Jesus had directed this barely masked parable of condemnation, even they knew what was going to happen when the landowner came. They knew that those wicked tenants would be rounded up and executed because of their lawlessness. No matter how firmly those tenants had convinced themselves that their plan would work, they were always going to be punished for their refusal to respect the one in whose vineyard they labored. It's a hard message for those of us 
who prefer our brand of Christianity to be the open, accepting, and universal variety to hear Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from someone and given to someone else. But in an age in which the words of Jesus and the authority of the church are used by some even to legitimize evil, that is a truth that we must confront. What does it mean for Jesus to proclaim that God's kingdom will be taken away from the religious leaders and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom? You might have been taught in the past that this parable is about God's favor being withdrawn from the children of Abraham and bestowed upon the Gentile Christians, but that isn't true. The church at times infected by the sin of anti-Semitism, has made that claim. But this parable isn't about chronology. It's not about the vineyard being taken away from those who came first and given to those who come second. It's about the responsibility to be faithful when the opportunity presents itself. We heard in great detail, the prophecy of Isaiah 5, the prophecy that Jesus must have had in mind when he told them this parable. In Isaiah 5, we see why it is that God takes the vineyard away from anyone because they have forgotten whose vineyard it really is. God punishes those who forget that God is the one who requires justice and rejects bloodshed. That God is the one who demands righteousness and will not abide the cry of the suffering. If you go on to read the rest of Isaiah 5, you will see that the people in power had been using their authority to take possession of the land of the vulnerable. To throw lavish banquets for themselves while people were starving in the streets. To acquit their friends from guilt in exchange for a bribe. Jesus picked up on this image and made it the center of his parable because he could see that the religious leaders of his own day were guilty of the same thing. They had forgotten whose vineyard it really was. They had forgotten that the kingdom of God belongs to the poor and the vulnerable and the weak. They had ignored the plight of those who were desperate to line the sides of the road and shout Hosanna as the radical rabbi entered the holy city. They had turned their backs on the blind and the lame who Matthew tells us flocked to the temple as soon as Jesus chased the money changers out. So desperate were they to be healed. Whose vineyard are we working in? In whose kingdom are we called to bear fruit? Do we recognize the authority of the one who comes to collect the landowner's due? Or have we been working so long that we have forgotten that the fruit of our labor actually belongs to someone else? The blind and the lame don't need any help recognizing Jesus as the one who brings God's kingdom to the earth. 
The poor and the weak don't need Jesus to tell them a parable in order to see whose authority he represents. Instead, it's always the powerful and the rich and the well-connected who need to be reminded what sort of reign Jesus came to establish. On the spectrum that extends from religious elites to social pariahs, I can tell on which end most of us belong. Maybe that's why we need Jesus more than most people. Because left to our own devices, we might begin to think that this vineyard we inhabit is our own doing, that we are responsible for its produce, that its bounty belongs to us. It doesn't. And as long as we remember that, God will help us bear fruit for the one to whom the kingdom really belongs. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.